Welcome to Access and Opportunity, a podcast from Morgan Stanley, connecting capital and communities. In this show, we introduce you to people working to create transformative opportunities in multicultural communities. Our guests include entrepreneurs, investors, developers, and activists, all of whom give us tools that we might use as a playbook for providing capital to women in multicultural-owned businesses. I'm your host, Carla Harris. In this episode of Access and Opportunity, we'll discuss leveling the playing field in entrepreneurship. This week, we'll be talking to Thea Smith, founding executive director of the City of Atlanta's Women's Entrepreneurship Initiative, or WE for short. We'll talk to her about how she and the other key city officials came together to launch the only city-funded small business incubator for women in the country. Thea will walk us through why WE is such an important initiative for the city of Atlanta and how it achieves its mission of providing support and creating opportunities for the advancement of women-owned small businesses. So Thea, thank you for being here with me today. You've had so much success, especially in your first cohort, and you have spearheaded this transformative initiative for the city of Atlanta. So let's just start right there and tell our listeners what the Women's Entrepreneurial Initiative, better known as WE, is all about. Give me that pitch. Absolutely. The Women's Entrepreneurship Initiative is Atlanta's answer to the reality that women are the best disruptors to poverty and community improvement. We feel that if you want to improve your communities, you improve conditions for women. Mm -hmm. And so the way we decided to tackle that issue in Atlanta was to create opportunities for our early stage women entrepreneurs, women who are on the path towards becoming job creators. We decided to come behind and be the wind at their backs by giving them access to three areas of capital, human capital, thought capital, and financial capital mm -hmm. so that they could connect to the resources and the opportunities they needed to go from being a solopreneur to a company building venture. That is a very important point because all the studies that the National Women's Business Council produced talked about the fact that 99% of women-owned businesses are comprised of one person. That's right. And that's the woman herself. That's right. So talk a little bit about how you help them to think about the need for human capital, how to attract the right kind of human capital. Because one of the things that I think people forget is that while the entrepreneur has a great idea and they might even know how to produce the product mm -hmm. or the process, that does not mean they have any DNA around interviewing and choosing the right team members. And if you don't choose the right person for your company, especially for a small company, it can be disastrous. So absolutely, talk, talk about that. And you know, we say all the time, that isolation is also the enemy of entrepreneurs. Mm. If you are isolated and if you are really segregated in many cases as our entrepreneurs are before they get to us at WE, they're at home mm -hmm. or they're at their coffee shops. They're somewhere where they don't really have access to other like-minded entrepreneurs. They don't have access to mentors. And even more importantly, they don't have access to the sponsors, the mm -hmm. people who can help really elevate those business goals to the next level. So our goal at WE was to create a safe space for women entrepreneurs to not only bring those business ideas, but to really bring who they truly are as women all of the time, the mothers, the 
sisters, the friends, and have a space where they could really bring that into an environment that supported them at every stage as they're building those companies and recognizing that there are different dynamics and complexities that will, to your point, affect how they go from being a one-woman show to a company-building entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So you expose them to the kinds of relationships that help them to figure out how to build your team, how to bring on the right person. Exactly. We spend a lot of time with our entrepreneurs thinking about exactly that. How are you creating a culture for the company you're building? Because if you're creating a company, you're creating a culture. Mm -hmm. Well said. And you need to know where you stand. You need to know what matters to you, what ethically and morally matters to you as a leader, as the owner of that company, as the job creator of that company. And we want them to start thinking at the ground up about the type of people they want to build that company with. Mm -hmm. This really also helps ingrain in them that, you know what, I am more than just a one-woman show. This is a business that can scale and create opportunity for people in our community. Often what we've seen in Atlanta for people who need the opportunity the most. So talk to me a little bit about how you all got this done. It was done under the administration of Mayor Kasim Reed. That's right. And you, it was no. The reason why I say it was no easy feat was because whenever you're doing something at the city level, you have to make sure that you identify who the real stakeholders are going to be because this is for the city of. That's exactly and right. And so, how did you identify who the key stakeholders were? And then let's talk to us a little bit about how you made the sale. And one of the reasons that I'm asking you this question, Thea, is because we're hoping that this is a bit of a playbook, sure. if you will. Because when I first met you and I first saw we. I thought, oh my goodness, this is scalable. It can be in every major city or a mid-sized city for sure in this country. Absolutely. And so I want those who are thinking about this to get a bit of a playbook from start to finish. Well, absolutely. Mayor Reed was the visionary for this. He really had the acumen to think about this in the same way he really thought about running the city, I believe, in the, in the view of it being a business. And he thought about it from an innovative approach of what can we do that's actually going to be a tangible solution to some of the challenges we're seeing our entrepreneurs in Atlanta face. And a lot of those challenges had to do with access to the right people, access to the right opportunities, and then sustainable places where they could grow and scale those businesses. Mm. And we know women are inherently affected much more than their male counterparts when it comes to setting up shop. Often we have so many challenges that are tied to opening your first business. If you think about what it requires to set up a brick-and-mortar location, let's talk about just that aspect of it. You often are talking about leveraging your home or leveraging your life insurance. And when you have families tied to that, women are affected disproportionately more than their male counterparts. So number one, what I would offer to a city who was considering something like a we is to think about Space. Think about an infrastructure that's really going to support collaboration and support providing these entrepreneurs or these members of your community a space that will allow them to be the best that they can be with as little risk to them on the early stage part of this as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. That was really the structure that we started with. We said we know we need to create a safe space to give our women entrepreneurs the ability to focus on the growth and the job creation piece. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to necessarily worry. We give them 15 months in our incubation cycle. So for 15 months, we don't want them worried about overhead costs. We don't want them to worry about how are we keeping the lights on. We want them to really focus on these business models that we know are incredibly impactful when given the right opportunity. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So first is the real estate. Absolutely. Second is making sure there's the timeline. Let's talk about the constituents, the stakeholders. Who do you have to sell? Stakeholders. You know what? That's one of the most important things I would offer about the strategy for implementing something like we. You have to think about who's going on this journey with you. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things I will tell you. We have been fortunate and blessed in Atlanta and that we've had some stakeholders who are not only visionaries, but they are true champions for inclusive entrepreneurship. And so what that really looks like, Carla, is the combination of both local leaders. So you have leaders at the, the at, at the mayoral level. Mm-hmm. You have our city council who both mayor and council collaborated to see that this initiative would be brought to life. But then we've got really strong corporate partners too. The Home Depot. We have representation from UPS on our advisory board. Mm-hmm. Access to Capital for Entrepreneurs, which is a nonprofit organization, but is a lending organization uh, for minority and women-owned businesses. And we've really tapped into this year our investment space, really wanting to recognize that we have so much human capital who are now interested in the investment space of supporting women entrepreneurs and getting them involved. Mm -hmm. So we've seen that come on board as a strong collaborator for us too. But here's what I would offer to a city who's considering something like this. You have to make sure the people who are living the problem you are attempting to solve are a part of the conversation. Too many times we would find ourselves around the table throwing out these ideas and thinking about, well, should we do this or should we do it here? And you'd look around the room and there was no one in that room who'd actually (laughs) lived the problem we were solving. So one of the very first things we did, and I would offer this, is that we went out and talked to women entrepreneurs, those who were both successful and those who had not been or who had been challenged by sustaining their business in Atlanta. And we wanted to know what problems have you faced that we can help solve? Where can we come in and be a source of support for you? What's the very thing, the very first thing we could do that could make your path to entrepreneurship and more importantly, a growing entrepreneur be a bit easier? And we wanted to hear directly from them and get their insight. So playbook point, first of all, understand what the entrepreneurs in your city really need. Absolutely. Because it could be different city by city. That's right. Uh, Playbook point number two, uh, look at the real estate opportunities where you can create a really safe, productive space that has all the type of technological infrastructure, electrical infrastructure, everything that you might need for someone to be able to not only be in a space, but grow in that space over a 12 to 18 month period, even though you might have a 15 month uh, incubation cycle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Third playbook point is understand who your real stakeholders are and talk about why the corporates were stakeholders. So why would the Home Depots, the UPSs be on board with this besides just being outstanding corporate citizens? I love these companies. Well, here's the great news. They've got problems to solve, too. And they're looking to our entrepreneurs to help solve those problems. So often you'll have folks like the Home Depot or UPS come and say, you know what, we're, we're dealing with some of these issues. We'd love to see what sort of innovative ideas are happening in your space. And that has really created a world of opportunity for us in Atlanta because it's opened up a space where we're no longer sort of holding and territorial about these ideas. Often, I think, with intellectual property in particular, yes. you have a very closed-in space. You don't see a fluid sharing of ideas. But when you have these companies come in and say, you know what, We're willing to consider what these entrepreneurs are doing because they're solving a lot of the problems that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. It creates a much more collaborative, open infrastructure. And I think we equalize that playing field for Mm -hmm. the entrepreneurs by bringing those stakeholders to the table. It also sends a very strong signal when you have the horsepower of the Home Depot or UPS or those strong corporate partners that we have in Atlanta Mm -hmm. standing with you and saying, this matters and there's an economic case to be made for why we support women entrepreneurs in our case. 
And thank you so much for bringing up the economic case, because that's something that we've been trying to underscore mm-hmm. as a part of this podcast, yes. that it's really not about doing the right thing. It's about a real economic opportunity, because whenever you have scarcity value, and you have scarcity value here, because there aren't a lot of uh, women entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of color that get opportunities that sort of see the light of the investment day, yes, if you will. That's right. And so the fact that there is some real value there, and there's a gap between the fact that they do exist and the and the, the fact that they can't get the capital, that gap is what creates the commercial opportunity for the institution or the individual that would step in that gap. You're spot on. And I'm smiling because I just had this conversation in real time with one of our board members the other day. She said, you know, people often say, oh, that's fantastic. You're doing the right thing or yeah. you're doing a good thing. She said, no, I'm investing in these women because I want to make money. There you go. And where you're often underestimating them, I'm seeing that in two or three years, there's going to be an incredible return on my investment. And that's exactly what we've seen happen. We know the talent is equal. It's the opportunities that are not equal. So if you tap into the talent often in your areas that may be considered underserved or undersourced, the great news, and I say this to our entrepreneurs all the time about being underserved and often underestimated, is that people don't see you. And what that may mean is that they can't see you coming. Mm -hmm. And so when you come with all of this (laughs) incredible talent and all of this incredible opportunity, you have these great, to your point, you've got these great resources right in front of you by way of these businesses. And you think, gosh, I'm going to make an actual investment. So I'm really excited, actually, with the data that we're starting to see around women investing in women, Mm -hmm. because we know that they've often been undersourced, underutilized and underestimated. And they're a great resource that has not been tapped. I could not agree more. And in fact, when I was down with you in Atlanta, and I first met you and and we, that was one of the things that I said, that it's a perfect storm, if you will, right now uh, for women and entrepreneurs of color, because there's more capital around than ever before. Exactly. You think about record low interest rates. You think about the cash that's available on corporate balance sheets. You think about the fact that the economy is doing well Mm -hmm. and people have a different type of risk appetite. And there's cash in the hands of individuals. So lots of cash available. You have entrepreneurs who have a real entrepreneurial spirit and appetite, and they're bringing these opportunities to the table. There's almost a perfect storm of opportunity for entrepreneurs of color and women. And that's why we're trying to elevate this conversation. I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about resistance, though, for those who might be a little uh, might have some trepidation around doing this because they know that there are some resistance in their cities or among their council. You know, where are the 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 points of resistance that you might articulate that people look out for. If you have a mayor and a city council that's on the same page, then that's a good thing. But away from the discord that may exist there, what are some of the, or who are some of the other constituencies? And you don't have to name them by name, but give people a sense of, you know, as you go to market with this idea, if you're in the city, um, you know, here are some things you might want to think about proactively Mm -hmm. uh, having an argument for Mm -hmm. or against. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think we did see some some, um, pushback when we initially uh, brought the idea of we forward and we really started to have some strong conversations in Atlanta. And those that pushback would often sound like, why are we just focusing on women? Uh, Why are we putting our money here where there are other opportunities for us to put our money towards some other challenges we're focused on? And, you know, the great news there, Carla, is we were able to quickly show the return on investment. I Mm -hmm. think that's what I would offer any city considering something that can, to your point, be be unknown and often be scary. And that it's it for us, it was we were the pioneering incubator in the country with city funding. There really was no other model to look to. But what we knew was if we could get to the other side of that fear and that unknown, the return on that investment 
would be incredible. And mm-hmm. that was absolutely correct. We graduated 15 women in our very first cohort. Wow. And we saw 10 out of those 15 create jobs while they were with us. So they went from being solopreneurs to job creating entrepreneurs. And they now employ more than 170 people collectively wow. in the city of Atlanta. That for us was the return, right? We knew the economic impact of those jobs not only being created, but sustained in the city was so invaluable. And research has shown, there's study after study that shows entrepreneurs like to stay where they start. Upwards of 90% of entrepreneurs will say, this is a city where I'm intentionally choosing to start my Mm -hmm. business. We want to help keep those businesses there. And that's how we were really able to confront some of those conversations where people would wonder, why would we do this? Why would we invest the money? Where is the proof? We were able to show that the economic sustainability of those businesses and scale of those businesses would make great sense for all of us as a community overall. That's a very compelling argument because everybody wins. And you know, the other great the other great point I always like to, to share about women, in particular women entrepreneurs, is they invest almost 90 cents of the dollar back into the communities where those businesses are. So whether you're thinking about their children's schools or their local grocery store, that's where the money goes. It stays in those communities. And so we really want to help support and see our communities thrive in Atlanta where those businesses are choosing to set up shop. Well, that's a compelling statistic that I don't think I've ever heard anyone say. You know, I've heard the fact that small businesses create more jobs than any other type of entities, you know, in the country, that women entrepreneurs are the fastest growing segment of entrepreneurs, that women of color are the fastest growing segment within all women entrepreneurs. But I've never heard that women entrepreneurs invest 90 cents on the dollar back into their communities, back which into their communities. is a powerful multiplier. And back into their employees. So there's a direct impact that shows that women outperform their male counterparts, too, when it comes to how much money we actually invest back into the employees we hire. That is outstanding. So talk a little bit about the kinds of companies that you all brought into WE for that first class. Because, Absolutely. You know, often, I'm sure that you all thought to yourself, we want to be careful mm-hmm. with class one. Mm-hmm. We want yes. to carefully curate it because we do want to have a statistic like 10 out of 15. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so that we can help to attract even more capital to this accelerator, this incubator, and to the, the businesses themselves. We did. And well, we took a founder's first approach. That's the most important thing I can share with you. So we were very much focused on the woman behind the business, more so than the business model itself. Huh. That in and of itself was risky. If you really mm-hmm. think about the way incubators and accelerator right. and environments work. It's a bit counterintuitive to what you'll see. But I'll tell you the reason we did that, Carla, is we were very focused on creating not only the safe spaces I mentioned, but a collaborative environment where we knew these women would have the opportunity and the backdrop to pivot, if need be, on a great business model, but they would be open to the coaching, the feedback, and the support that we really invested a lot of time and attention into getting right with our mentors and our sponsors. So we wanted to make sure we had women who were willing to sit down and be flexible and Mm -hmm. fluid with how they were operating these very young businesses and be open to taking the advice and heeding the insight of those who could offer it as we wanted to see them grow. I will tell you, we are extremely diverse, not only with our first cohort, but our second cohort as well. And what that means is that we are racially, socioeconomically, and generationally very diverse and reflective of what the city of Atlanta looks like. Mm. So we have representation from almost every city council area of the city of Atlanta. We have an age range that starts in our early 20s up to our late 50s in this particular cohort. And so we really wanted to show that generationally Mm -hmm. you could see women coming together in a space operating their own independent businesses, but adding a lot of value to one another. And and, and talk to us about how 
you actually evaluated whether somebody was going to really be open to the coaching. Oh. Because that that's a tricky piece. That's a very tricky yes. piece. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought it up because I will tell you in, in full honesty, that was the learning curve for us. And it's something we're still working on is we want to make sure we are selecting and curating women who are open to that feedback, who are coachable. And so what we've done, we, we introduced a very unique process for our selection process this year. We brought in some behavioral therapists to help us put our women through some exercises to not only gauge the type of business owner they are, but again, remember, we're focused on helping them become job creators. Mm -hmm. So we want to know, how do you react under pressure? How do you react when you're being given some courageous advice or having a courageous conversation, I should say, and maybe you're hearing something you don't really want to hear? We want to know how they react to that. So we've really started to implement that into not only our selection process, but the curriculum as well. And we're starting to introduce some programming that's all around leading with courage, Mm -hmm. leading not only through fear, but with the idea that on the other side of that fear is opportunity, is opportunity to be impactful. We want to really see women who are courageous. And I think this is probably the most important part for us, Carla, women who have empathy. Mm -hmm. And do you think that's the key to sustainability for some of these businesses is that ability to not only have a great business model and have the right kind of funding, but be able to lead through fear, lead with courage, have empathy, and to be able to pivot and and take advice. Do you think those are some of the keys? Absolutely. I think those are very key. I think it's also key that you have women who are very intentional about their business and they know what they want to do. We focus a lot on we about what does success look like for you. Mm -hmm. Often success is told to us, right? We, especially entrepreneurs, they think, oh, I have to have this grand exit and I have to have so many investors, but is that really what you want for your mm-hmm. business? And we really want to celebrate again as a as a community facing organization what success looks like in all of its diversity. So it may not be that you're being acquired. It may not be that you are getting equity. It may be that for you, this is a legacy building opportunity for your families. We want to really work with women who are able to recognize and identify what does success look like for me mm-hmm. and be very intentional about how they get there. Any unanticipated challenges that you had in setting it up or unanticipated learnings uh, in the first couple of cohorts? You know, we were very much focused on the quantitative at first, right? The numbers, the jobs, the Mm -hmm. creation of the jobs, the revenue generation. I will tell you the qualitative has been just as important. So the friendships that have been forged between women, we've seen new ventures spawn from two women coming together and say, Let's create something new together. That's something we could not have anticipated. We never would have thought you'd see two companies in one space say, hey, let's you're really good at this and I'm really good at that. Let's bring it together and start something completely new. So we've really been excited to see the the growth of the the community overall, what we've contributed to Atlanta's entrepreneurial ecosystem Mm -hmm. by way of these women and the relationships that they've developed with one another coming out of WE has been incredible. What are the greatest challenges that you think entrepreneurs face? Well, you know, the numbers show it, and it's very much true for us, too, that women are simply not receiving as much capital as they should be. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges for our entrepreneurs is around raising capital. Mm -hmm. And often as they are uh, starting out on that journey, so again, for our early stage entrepreneurs, this is going after that seed round or in some cases a Series A, they are just often so challenged by those unwritten rules of engagement. 
really looking for guidance on how do I interact, how do I engage with investors, what are they really looking for? And so that has been very helpful for us, too, is having investors who are on our Mm -hmm. side um, in an advisory and a mentorship capacity because they're not there because they necessarily have any stake in the game at that point. They're simply there to help be guides for that. But the capital piece is always a challenge. Yes, yes. As we've seen throughout the country, and that was one of the biggest learnings uh, that I had in my capacity as chair of the National Women's Business Council, that is very very real. It is. And, you know, I think that the last numbers I saw was in 2017, we saw almost $90 billion worth of venture capital with 2% of that Mm -hmm. going towards women. So Mm -hmm. when you think about that number, there's a lot of work to be done. I I think we're definitely moving in the right direction and seeing a lot of effort put towards it. But for us, it's still every day and an issue that we address. And we're thinking of uh, ways to help our entrepreneurs really circumvent and and deal with. How do I raise capital? I'm anxious to get to something that we we talked about before we got together that we both have learned, and and that's really around the wellness of the entrepreneurs. So let's talk a little bit about the wellness. It's a huge thing for us that we to really factor in health and wellness and self-care. And we know that there's often this idea that entrepreneurs have to hustle, 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 right? You're constantly going. You're putting on this, this brave face that you've got it all together, particularly as we were talking about when you were talking to investors and you're having those conversations conversations and you want to exude that confidence that you really have it together. But where we also see challenges with that is that our entrepreneurs often don't give themselves the time to simply step back from the the, the, the entrepreneurial role they're in and focus on some of the other roles they are. So I talk with my entrepreneurs all the time about being a mother, you know, children going back to school while you're getting ready for a huge pitch event or, you know, being a, a caregiver to an aging parent and how all of those things can factor into your comprehensive approach to running a business. And so what we have decided at WE is it will now become a part of our curriculum to implement self-care and wellness and health benefits into the programming that we offer to our entrepreneurs. We want them to really recognize the space of WE as a safe harbor for them to bring themselves and bring their authentic selves and say, you know what, today is a day where I need some assistance in this area. Mm -hmm. And I think the more we help to normalize that for entrepreneurs, the better off things will be. I think you're exactly right because I have met many entrepreneurs with outstanding business models, outstanding market potential, but they are already a victim of founders fatigue. Well, the way we handle that at WE is we have monthly, on a monthly basis right now, we have a roundtable discussion with our founders. Um, It is not for the employees. It is not for the team members. It is for the founders. And so if you can think about 15 women coming together in a space and being able to speak very honestly and very authentically about what that journey is like. And I will tell you, tears are shed every every month. Laughter is had every month. But we have a very honest discussion around what is this journey really like for you. Mm-hmm. And let's make sure the people in this room hear you and know that so we can support you. Sometimes it's as simple as just tapping someone on the shoulder and saying, are you okay today? Is there anything you need? Do you want to go outside and get a breath of fresh air? Mm-hmm. Other times it's a bit more structured in the approach that we take for that. Mm-hmm. But we do recognize that the first thing we have to do is be willing to have an honest and courageous conversation about what mental health and wellness looks like. You know, the tragedy of Kate Spade's um, death recently for us happened at a time when most of our entrepreneurs were in the office and they were all thriving and in in their space. And it really caused us to stop, to pause. And I recognize that as an opportunity for us to have dialogue at that very moment around what that what that said and what that meant, because I think often you think about women like Kate Spade, where, you know, the optics of that life look 
fantastic and look like you're something you would aspire to. But the reality is she was a wife and a mother and a friend and, and all these other dynamics. And all of that factors into who you really are when you are an entrepreneur as well. Absolutely. And one of the most profound things that you've said in this conversation is that isolation is the enemy of the entrepreneur. That's right. The beauty of these types of accelerators, whether it's we or whether it's the Morgan Stanley yes. uh, Innovation Lab, is that you have resources right there that are saying, tell us, you know, lay the problem on us. Here is a safe space for you to scream, cry, cuss, do whatever you need exactly. to do to have an exhale exactly. at that moment. And you do have help. Before we go to our fun lightning round, uh, let's just also talk to people a little bit about your background, because um, I also want to send a signal to those who have been trained in large corporate environments to talk about the fact that that training gives you the ability to leverage everything that you've done for 15 years, 20 years, 25 years into this new emerging space, into these new disruptive businesses, and, you know, basically lengthen your own professional runway. So you spent a large portion of your career at a Fortune 100 company. Talk to us about that experience and how it has given you the ability to lead an incubator that's innovative and disruptive like we. Absolutely. Well, you know, the the, the one thing I will share with you that I've learned that has really resonated through my journey, um, both in, in, in the Fortune 100 space and now in an incubator environment, is that there is such a difference between diversity and inclusion. And fortunately for me, I was in a space where diversity was treated exactly as what it is. It's a what. Inclusion is a way. It's the way you treat people. It's the culture. It's how you energize and encourage the people around you. And I saw that firsthand in the environment I was in in my corporate career where inclusion was such an intentional part of that company's culture and that structure that it really for me shaped the possibilities. It really opened up for me the idea that I'm valued here. I'm included here. I'm not just a number you can check on a box. I'm not just a data point. I actually matter to the company culture here. And I think whether that's a company of 5,000 or a company of five, when you incorporate inclusion and the idea that the people around you, the talent and the skill around you are what's valuable to you and what's ultimately going to make you successful, it really does make a difference. That is what we lead with with our entrepreneurs as they're becoming job creators, is you have to be inclusive of your people. And it was the biggest lesson I learned. It sounds sort of simple and to the point, but really for me, it was witnessing firsthand the difference between making inclusion an intentional part of the culture of your company Mm -hmm. and being very focused on those strategies um, versus just simply saying diversity is is our what. Yeah, that is a profound point because clearly that company gave you great management skills, great analytical skills, uh, organization skills, selling skills. But it sounds like that inclusion piece really was the hallmark of how you lead a whole new generation of entrepreneurs. Well, and it's also how it helped me think about founding an incubator, because I think there's often a misperception, too. And I would offer offer this to the listeners as well, that if you build it, they will come. And if you have the structure, they will come. But there's so much more to it than that. Right. Creating an inclusive environment really has to factor in a lot more than just setting up shop and having a space. And we talked a bit about Cities making sure they know who are they authentically. What are the the strengths of your city that you can really employ upon? For us in Atlanta, it was really around social justice. So we're seeing a lot of our entrepreneurs. We have two, in fact, in our cohort right now who are really tackling some of the social and community challenges Atlanta is facing with those business ideas. And we know that there's an economic case for supporting social impact businesses as well. Mm -hmm. But we've always owned who we are as a city Mm -hmm. and we've owned the social 
impact and civil rights for us is really ingrained in the DNA of the city. And I would offer that that's a really important thing to consider as you're creating an inclusive environment, because often, again, those problems that you're attempting to solve are going to be being lived and played out by the people who you want to help. So including them in their solutions can be a really powerful way to create that inclusive environment. Well, that's a great playbook point. If you are going to set this up at the city level, leverage that strength that you already have, that you've already marketed, that you're already known for build this new innovative opportunity for new businesses around that strength. Exactly. That is a strong playbook point. Yes, exactly. One other question that I have for you, where do you see we in 10 years? You know, again, as our as with our position as the only city-funded initiative of our kind right now, what I hope is that we will become a national model. We opened up this conversation with you saying that, you know, you'd love to see this happen in other cities. I'd love to see other cities Have a we have an opportunity for women entrepreneurs in their community to really be successful and to be the wind at those women's back, because we know there is a strong case for when women are supported and empowered, our communities are better for it. I hope we will be the national model and we'll have other cities coming to us to bring that model into their cities as well. So now, Thea, that we've started a little tradition here on, okay. on access and opportunity, and it's called the lightning round. All right. Uh, so it's a fun way for our listeners to get to know you as a person. And so we'll ask rapid fire questions and you should answer in three words or less. OK. Are you ready? Oh, I think so. OK. Favorite thing about Atlanta? The warmth of the people. More than three words, but the warmth okay. of the people. All right. Favorite book or magazine? Bluest Eye. Tony Morrison. I know that book. City or the countryside? City. Winter or summer? Summer. Most interesting in small business working with we? Well, that's like choosing a favorite child, so I can't <laughs> do is, that. It is, it is. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Carl, the ones I really do enjoy are the ones, again, that are, are really solving and tackling some of our, our community challenges. But they're all, for all of them listening, you're all my favorite. Okay. <laughs> good answer, good answer. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Martini. Oh. <laughs> a woman after my own heart. Uh, texting or talking? Talking. Last thing you downloaded? Oh, the last thing I downloaded, I'll tell you what, I just downloaded uh, Trevor Noah's book on Audible. Yes. I haven't had a chance to read that. It's been sitting on my bedside. So I finally said maybe I should listen to the book. I oh, downloaded that. And I can't wait to excellent. hear it. Favorite vacation destination? Oh, Africa. If you had a talk show, who would you want to be your first guest? You know, I am so inspired right now by what Arlen Hamilton, the CEO of Backstage Capital, mm-hmm. uh, the managing partner of Backstage Capital, has created with her fund. Um, and for, she, she created a fund. She has now invested in more than 80 companies, and she started that fund while she was homeless. Wow. I would love to, to sit and have a conversation with her. What's one word that you'd like to use to describe your legacy? Uplifting. Thea, thank you so much. It has been so much fun having this conversation. Oh, Carla, with you. thank you for having me. Thank you so much for this. Thank you all for listening. I'm Carla Harris, and we'll be back soon with another conversation about access and opportunity.